Welcome back, Bruiser Nation, and if you're enjoying our excursion so far, hit that subscribe button and rate the Bruise Cruise podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now we go to Survivor Series 1998, Deadly Game. One of the things about this pay-per-view, it was the first one that I ever ordered, and it was a perfect storm of storylines and matches. It's not only created my love of wrestling, but my affinity for tournaments as well. The fact was, uh, Vince obviously did not like Mankind, but he knew he could manipulate him, shown by uh, Mankind's desire just to be accepted by anyone especially Vince McMahon and at the time there was no way Vince could control Stone Cold or The Rock hand picks Mankind who by the way opening match of the tournament was Dwayne Gill who would later be repackaged as a Gilberg as an opponent with a nice little promo trying to make him sound serious talking about going down to WCW at the end the match was just it was a squash plain and simple followed by Jeff Jarrett with Deborah McMichael versus Al Snow with Head and, and the funny part about this is a Socko Mankind's mankind sock puppet that he uh, puts on his hand to deliver the mandible claw was um, around Head at the time. If you are not aware of who Head was, yes, folks, a mannequin. 90s WWE, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, WWF then. It was crazy then. They threw a lot of stuff at the wall. And some of it was kind of funny, but I digress. Basically, uh, you know, typical Attitude Era style match, not too technical. I'm not not bashing anybody for it, just saying that it was more storyline driven in the Attitude Era, I felt, than the catches catch can that would come later. And of course, Attitude Era distractions. Deborah tries to uh, distract the referee so Jeff Jarrett can get head and he misses and Al Snow hits him with head and takes the victory and Sako is still around head. Remember that for later. And following that matchup, we get Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the Big Boss Man, which is basically, well, it's it was basically a mugging type of matchup. You know, they went back and forth a little bit. Boss Man's pretty hard on Austin. Austin gives it right back to him and then they go and pull out the nightstick and that's it. Boss Man goes ham on Stone Cold Steve Austin. And now there's another storyline going on. Not only does Vince McMahon not want Austin to win, but now he's trying to take him out of the tournament altogether through injury, not just trying to get a win over him. And then we come to the following tournament matchup, X-Pac versus William Regal. This was more of that um, blueprint, for lack of a better term, of where we see a lot of guys now. Like you, you could see the pieces there, where, especially with William Regal, because let, let's—I mean, he was Stephen Regal, the real man's man back then. But you could see his influence from Europe right away. Him and Xbox had pretty good chemistry. Uh, I don't want to say they were ahead of their time because there were other guys around the world doing stuff like this during this time. I think it really helped shift where. WWE went into the future and what was good about this match um, this match ended in a double count out and Vince tried to get an overtime and basically X-Pac said the hell with this I'm hurt so he walked out and William Regal Steven Regal chased him into the back and that was due to their their feud for that European title Steven Regal didn't feel that X-Pac should be 
the European champion because he wasn't from Europe, and so he was really focused on taking that strap off of X-Pac, so that's kind of how the match devolved into a double countout. They did a, a stairs spot and kept fighting and got the countout, and there we went. And and that was so good about the Attitude Era was they were really good at intertwining some of these stories, especially during this tournament. There's so many storylines going on in the middle of this tournament of everyone wanting to be the WWF champion. And since there was a double count out, Stone Cold Steve Austin now has a bye and Vince McMahon is freaking out. Austin gets a bye. Austin gets a bye. Oh, classic. And I mean, coming from looking back at it, I mean, I was... I was 16 years old just getting into professional wrestling. Oh, I was eating all of this nonsense up, folks. You know, the nonsense ridiculousness of professional wrestling that we all love. And following this matchup, we had Goldust versus Ken Shamrock. Uh, Ken Shamrock is the uh, current Intercontinental Champion. His moniker is the world's most dangerous man. And this was shortly after he left the UFC and tried to make a mark in professional wrestling. It was more um, a showing of Ken Shamrock's sheer brutality, for lack of a better term, than Catches Catch Can or a storyline type matchup. The storyline that was in all of Ken Shamrock, when's he going to freak out, throw that belly to belly and hit that ankle lock real quick and it's over. That was basically every match Shamrock had there for a while when they were trying to establish Ken Shamrock. And he ends up do, doing just that. The, the shamrock finish, I'll call it. The belly-to-belly suplex followed into the ankle lock and gold dust taps. The winner of this matchup is supposed to face the winner of Triple H versus The Rock. But here's the thing. Triple H is hurt. So he's in this tournament, but he's hurt. So storyline, haha, now he's going to get fined because he didn't show up. And The Rock's opponent will be the big boss man who had already been eliminated by disqualification in his match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, JR's freaking out. The King's like, yeah, why not? Why doesn't the big boss man get another chance? He does a lot for Vince McMahon. Might as well get him a chance again. He promptly runs to the ring and The Rock promptly rolls him up in a small package. One, two, three, four seconds later, the big boss man is eliminated once again by the people's champion, The Rock. Yet another superstar that Vince McMahon does not want to be his WWF champion. So now now what's Vince going to do? He's stuck in a pickle. Both the guys he really doesn't want to be champion are moving forward into this tournament. Which leads us to our first quarterfinal matchup, which is going to be The Undertaker versus Kane. Vince McMahon uh, hand-drew these brackets, apparently, and gave Undertaker and Kane a bye. Nothing spectacular in-ring-wise, but once again, more storyline involved into the matchup. Paul Bearer had brought Kane back shortly after that. You know, Undertaker and Kane had a rivalry and then they appeared to be friends and Undertaker said, nah, I'm just kidding. And turned his back on Kane with the help of Paul Bearer. So you have that in the background. And they did a great job, especially uh, good old JR, putting over Kane and how Oh my God, Undertaker, the Undertaker, cannot put Kane down. Couldn't even knock him down for a vast majority of the match, which, you know, sometimes people complain, and I'm sure they've complained about what The Fiend does now, but 
that was really important to developing and continuing to develop the big red machine that is Kane. They had to develop the monster that is Kane, and what better way to do it against his brother, The Undertaker? This this tournament match was not the end of their rivalry. All you longtime fans know that. Uh, but this match did create even more tension between them. It wasn't just oh I hate you now. Now you know Undertaker hits the tombstone and Paul Bearer holds that leg down, causing the one two three. So now there's an even more animosity between these men. And I just, like I said earlier, uh, the Attitude Era did a really good job of intertwining these storylines. And they all kind of, they all made sense. It wasn't like they were just doing stuff to do it. They had a reason behind it. And I think, I don't know, I don't know what they do back over there writing. And it's a lot to write for all the TV that they do. But I, I don't know why they struggle so so much these days and doing things like this. Al Snow vs. Mankind is up next, and leading into this, uh, Mankind is still completely unaware that Sako is a headband for head. And during this matchup, you know, they're friends at, at this point in time leading to the matchup. They go pretty back and forth. They know each other pretty well. Um, kind of standard Foley stuff. You know, hard bumps. Uh, when, I, when I talk about Foley stuff, that's what I'm talking about. And they come to a point where Foley gets knocked down into the corner. Um, so Mankind is his character at this point in time. And he sees Sako around Head. And this sets him off. He's like, what is going on? So he picks up Head, tears off Sako. And what's he do next? Only Mankind attacks Head. Starts kicking him, punching him. It's hilarious. It is totally Attitude Era ridiculousness. Which now brings that storyline of Sako missing into a new one. Now there's animosity between Al Snow and Mankind, created by, guess what, Vince McMahon. It is revealed during this matchup that Vince McMahon stole Sako and put it around head. 